Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. In three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak brand camo. It's it's a hot one outside today, Yeah, it's heating up out there. It sure is. And the humidity is just crazy. Tox, you've been planting corn this week, hadn't you? I was until y'all made me come in to work some of this morning. You can tell he's not done. No, I didn't get finished, and I'm going to pout the whole time. So, so we got to talk warning. fast today. Yeah. So putting corn in the ground, time to put some spring crops in the ground. Got all kind of stuff going out there in the gamekeeping world. Last week there was some rain, and did you catch some of that just right? No, Josh? not much. Not much at all. Not nearly enough. It's looking pretty morbid right now. Yeah, it's going to be hot and dry. And 100 for degrees a for a 10 days straight with no rain. Yeah. Hope it changes. One thing about the weather wow. forecast in the summer, it'll. It'll change. I hope, Maybe we'll get but the trend is not good right now. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were goofing a little bit when you were supposed to be planting corn because you sent me a picture of a hybrid oak. Ooh. I saw it when I was actually working on the <laughs> hydraulic line. It was, was right by the planter, and I had a hydraulic line blow off, and I had to. That's a pretty brave statement. Uh, uh, I was I was riding bikes with the wife yesterday, and we stumbled into a hybrid, a new find, and it's kind of a fun. Uh, competition we've had over oh, the I'm years not, I, where when we, we yeah, find I got a, through with that competition. I won it one time and I, I retired. But, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm we not always competing send with each other pictures and like, oh, look what I found. And I, it's funny. I sent him one yesterday and he was like, right back at you. <laughs> I, I just taken too. a picture that morning. I was going to text it to him. This looks like a willow nut all hybrid yeah and i'm thinking it's actually somewhere we could get to really yeah. how cool is this and before i could send it i got one from dudley yeah mine was an overcup white oak hybrid i found oh wow in town hmm. another yeah ah. a new one that's a that's a harder one? to get one too and a unique one what is, don't we have a name for the overcup white cross we always refer to it as either either the stevens, stevens oak, oak or the right. rainmaker oak mm. yep rainmaker it's not it's not that's named cool. at this time yeah which we could have done yeah, we need to get on. That's that. a whole different tree nerd story. You might move on. That's yeah. a whole other podcast. It actually, is, it exactly is. Right. Yep. yeah, yeah, yep. it sure is. So today we're going to have a, a really interesting conversation with uh, one of our own. We've got Todd Amonroot, who is the editor of our magazine. Yes, sir. In the flesh. Yeah, and then we've got Todd's uncle, which is uh, Dave. And Dave, I'm going to butcher your name, but but Smith Becky's is what is is that correct? 
Yes, Medvecki. Yeah, yeah. Medvecki. and look, you've been, you've been writing for the Gamekeepers magazine for a number of years. We've done a television show with the two of you guys and, and y'all's relationship and how y'all help each other. It's just a, it's a really neat story that you guys have going on up there in Minnesota. It's more how Dave helps me and what I learned from him. But but yes, we have a great relationship. Well, they kill some big deer. Yeah, they do. Consistently, too. Uh, it, yes. It's just not like one every now and then. No, it, it's just not. <laughs> and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's very impressive. They're food plots. Mm-hmm. They really know what's going on. And I think, you know, Dave's got a really good handle on no-till farming. And so today in the podcast, we're going to kind of talk about all the aspects of it from frost seeding because that's uh, – Dudley, this is something that's just right that's up your thing, alley. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this one because uh, we've all been tinker, tinkering with it, and uh, a lot of our listeners and viewers have been tinkering with it and getting better at it. And uh, I think we need to share the information. Yeah, you know, and it seems like there's more and more people that are interested in soil health. Oh it, yeah, I it, mean the the thought of making your place better as you farm it, you know, is something that we all need to to latch on to for sure. Yeah. Hey, one more thing too, you know, with with Todd, he it's the epicenter of our northern research facility up there. I know we often, you know, we're Mississippi this, Mississippi that, but it's important for everybody to know that Todd's got a whole research facility up there dedicated to biologic. You know, we got Austin in Tennessee and we got Todd up there. Uh, so he's a spearhead not only of the gamekeeper, you know, magazine editing process, but also of our research and development up there for biologic. Yeah, he, and Todd's got a green thumb. He can grow some food plots. Yeah, his look a lot better than mine do, I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, whenever I have a question about soil or things like that, Todd's the guy that I bounce it off of first. Yeah. So, Todd, why don't we, why don't we start? What is your experience with no-till? And uh, talk to us about that a little bit. Well, I don't have the sophisticated equipment, you know, big no-till drills, but I've done a, a lot of no-till stuff uh, on, you know, certain leases that I used to have where you couldn't bring big equipment in or you weren't allowed to actually turn the soil. We used to do some stuff like that. But uh, I would say I only tend to use that type of no-till, like the, the hidey hole plot type thing, when I can't do it through traditional means because almost always you're going to get a better stand if you can plant things correctly. However, if uh, if you do pay attention to several points along the, the planting process and make sure that your seeds make good contact with the soil, make sure you eliminate the competition you know, and, and give the plant some food, uh, you can grow incredible plots without ever turning the soil at all. You know, that, that's interesting. And when you talk about... you. you we uh we refer to some of those plots as we we've got a product called hotspot biologic hotspots it's real easy to grow in certain in certain scenarios but it's there's still some things that you need to do it needs to be fertilized uh, appropriately and it takes the, kind of the right scenario for that that product to perform but when it's right it's right and it it does well but we're also talking about in, in, drilling, uh, yeah. yeah, and I, I think mean, a lot I think of these... what we're calling the hot spot products is a throw and grow, right. um, something you yeah. can just cast out, you know, maybe remove some leaf litter, uh, and it'll kind of germinate and establish itself. But um, I think we're also 
talking about drilling in the ground on top of, I guess, not actually turning the soil over. Right. Right. So, you know, in this instance, no-till can mean anything from just throwing seed out on the surface, like a a frost seeding scenario, to actually using some precision ag equipment that's, you know, that's out of reach for a lot of our Mm -hmm. folks, uh, including myself. And so we've learned how to use some of these more primitive techniques. Yeah, but but real effectively, I think it'd be fascinating for people to hear some of the stuff Dudley, and he takes great pride in it because it it has been unusual to see, but he has tremendous results, you know. And I I realize, and Todd, uh, you know, hinted at that too, there are limitations. For sure. But uh, there are a lot, a lot of positives, and especially people that all they have is like just a hand seeder or a four-wheeler and a seeder, and they can't get a disc to it. You know, there are some things you need to do, but I think I'd love for Dudley to explain his process, which is pretty simple, actually. Yeah. Yeah, his is throw and mow, isn't it? Let's hear it, Dudley. Okay. And so, I, one um, other thing, just be sure to mention, is there's a lot more one than the one product that will Right, will do there's this. so yeah. many ways yeah. to accomplish yeah. this. Yes, there's a lot um, more than, than the hot With spot. all the seed products. Yeah. 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 Honestly, I think, especially the brassicas, I yeah, think he'll tell you. Yeah, I think when you first start out doing this, you have to go into it understanding that, uh, you know, something – it may not be a perfect stand every single time you no. do it because, uh, again, like Todd mentioned, you know, a, a perfect seed bed is, is hard to beat. Um, but the way I do it, um, and, you know, you can do this with clover, brassicas, uh, blends, um, but I've had best results uh, personally with brassicas, um, and I'll start in the, you know, in the late summer here in Mississippi, we try to get our brassicas in the ground usually between September 1st and 17th. So I start the process usually, oh, maybe in late July or so. I'll go in with the bush hog and I'll clip it really tall, you know, maybe a foot tall. Um, and uh, and then you just wait for a rain event uh, or if your soil's already got some moisture, all the grasses and weeds rebound very quickly. Um, they're not too tall to where they would interfere with your sprayer. So maybe you're coming back to something that's 18 inches tall, 16 inches tall. You burn that down with uh, whatever herbicide you use for burn down. I usually use glyphosate. And uh, I wait about two more weeks to get a really good kill. And then I come back with my fertilizer. Um, If I need to put some lime out, I put my seed out. And uh, then I will mow it again, somewhat high. You may, you know, maybe six to eight inches. I don't want the blades contacting the ground, and uh, so that just puts a really light layer of dead thatch on top of those seeds. And then your moisture, when it tries to evaporate out of the soil, it gets trapped right in that seed zone hmm. uh, below that thatch layer. Um, I've had years. Uh, where I've done this and it rained two or three days before and I put the seed out and not get a rain for another month and I have an excellent stand. Um, I've even had instances where it starts raining before we come back and mow it to cover and it comes up great even though it's not covered. So um, it just seems to get better and easier every year. It's it's like you're building that, that soil layer on the surface that's a, a better germination Soil type. Hmm. Very interesting. Never uh, thought about building the soil there. Do you think, because one of the things in doing some of that here, I've had a lot more trouble. Some of these hard pan, heavy, heavy clay soils, 
it's tougher to do that on. It's actually tougher to get any kind of stand with some of these small seeds, to be honest with you. Yep. It takes a lot more work. So the the fine, I think the happy medium between too sandy and too heavy clay would probably be perfect right. you know, in a loamy And, loamy and my kind of thought soil. on that is uh, if you're worried about that, just try a really small area. Absolutely. And, and don't just give up after the first year. Um, try it several times. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure Todd and David have a different method that works well for them. But, you know, there's farmers flying seed over the surface of their row crops. Absolutely. They just sure putting are. seed out on bare dirt. Yep, wheat. Um, mm-hmm. and, and having good results uh, with cover crops doing that. So it works. I would say, I would say that if what you described is pretty close to the way that I would do it. And what Toxie said brings up a, a great point that selecting – the, the proper seed that you're going to put in. Obviously, yeah. we have blends specifically made for this, like Hotspot, but being as that you're not going to be able to get that seed down, uh, you know, an inch or two inches deep, selecting the, the right crop is uh, is crucial. For sure. And I've, I've had great results with brassicas. Uh, in fact, when I started out, I was seeding it pretty heavy, you know, 12 to 13 pounds an acre. And I quickly realized that, just about every seed was germinating and they were too close together. So I've been, I've been going with the regular recommended rate on the bag and, uh, even that's doing so well. I'm, I may dial it back to about six pounds per acre next year. Yeah. So you're doing all this with a sprayer and a mower or a bush hog, some kind. Correct. Mm -hmm. And yeah, an over the shoulder bag. Cedar. Cedar. Throw and mow. Well, you know what people listening, um, on top of this, Soil health, which is really, honestly, you know, everybody has to learn it in their own way by listening to us and other people, too. But the exciting thing also is out there is the people just hardcore, especially bow hunting people, but just hunting people, they can plant places that they didn't think they could get to. They just Mm -hmm. feel like they, you know, they see somebody on TV with a 150-horse John Deere and all this heavy equipment and think they've got to be to that degree. And quite honestly, uh, Dudley brought up a great point. You should... Everybody should try things and experiment with things, just maybe a little at a time so it's not expensive to test it. And then you can find your own way. It's nothing like having going and do it. It's kind of like driving a truck or driving a car somewhere. And if you're sitting in the passenger seat, look on your phone, not paying attention, you might go somewhere four or five times and forget how to get there. If you have to drive yourself one time, you'll remember it. It's the same way with you know, practices in planting practices. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so Dudley, have you, pl- uh, Lynn Lanny, have y'all planted the hotspot product? It, or it seems to me like, in, in my experience with it, you've got to get the you've got to get the the leaves back. I mean, with a blower or a rake, so there is some soil there. For oh, you have to soil contact. You have to. Yeah, I'm the the method I'm referring to. A lot of people call it poor man's no till or throw and mow. Uh, I didn't come up with it. You know, a lot of folks have been using it, but um, the the hot spot is in my mind. I picture a little hole in the middle of the woods, and right. there's leaves yeah. all over the ground. And yeah, mm-hmm. you've got to rake all of that back. Yeah. The method I'm using uh, is in an open field. Sure, sure. So, all with that being said, you got to also, <clears throat> you know, listeners, watchers need to know that you just can't go to any spot 
<laughs> and plant this. So if there's a bunch of matted down leaves or pine needles, you have to first make sure that there is going to be at least some sunlight making it through that canopy to, to get there. So, uh, you know, what I always would tell people back when I was answering all our emails is that if there's something significant, you know, knee-high growth or, or, or better growing in that spot now, typically that means that there's going to be enough sunlight coming through so you can get a something to grow there but uh you know with canopy i don't care what you do with your you know without that sunlight Can not gonna work sunlight. Yeah. yeah well the good news is too that as it gets further in the fall when the leaves start falling off that 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 helps so that that allows a little more diffuse sunlight in there on the yeah. plots but but there boy, boy every year we hear somebody that's plants a little small hot spot and throws a bag or two of fertilizer on it and just has a heck of a season. Right. Uh, but it's because that little hidden plot that's uh, on their lease that nobody else knows mm-hmm. about. It can be a really good scenario. Um, so, David, Todd, what what is uh, outside of, you know, what I was talking about, what, what are some other types of pieces of equipment people are using uh, for no-till? Like, um, you know, what... Talk about some of the, the impl- new implements and things like that that folks are beginning to use more. Well, first of all, I have one comment on your um, um, your throw and mow. Uh, we do that here on teeny plots uh, in the woods, just a small opening with a, a little bit of sunlight getting in, actually go in with a handheld weed whip and mow it down. Uh, you can't even get a... a tractor and ATV to some of these spots. But you can do it by hand, take a weed whip in there, mow it down, take a backpack sprayer, do your spraying just like you're doing, but on a smaller scale. Yep. I know. Yeah. And it and it works. It really does. But they've got some of that big equipment. Okay. <laughs> like I would like to have. Um, well, so. <laughs> My big equipment is still small. My uh, newest tractor is probably from the 1970s. I'll but, tell you um, one more. I want to say one more reason people need to listen coming up with what you say because when you apply this on a broad scale, you're gonna one thing is a big positive, not just not only a maybe a better plot and better soil health and all, but you're gonna save a bunch of fuel, and that's become a huge thing. Yeah. So oh, I think now. everybody should be all ears. I know about what he's fixing to talk about. And you're definitely going to make this all more economical, especially the bigger you're planting, the more you're going to save. You know. For sure. Uh, have you guys uh, seen uh, use of the roller crimpers to try to get rid of the herbicide use? Yes, uh, I do have a roller crimper. Uh, I am experimenting with that uh, yet. Uh, no conclusions. Uh, definitely I, the principle is great. Uh, and so I've, I've got more to, to learn on it. Right. Um, and there's a lot of folks you can go on YouTube and, and see some of these soil nerds using their yes. roller crimpers yep. and, and how effective they are. Um, it essentially, it, it looks like a roller or, or a cultipacker, but it has, uh, if you're familiar with the Chevron tread pattern on the bottom of a pair of uh, knee boots, uh, they're putting, they're welding these metal things that are in a, a V shape, like a Chevron pattern onto these rollers. And uh, right when the, usually they, I think they call it the dough stage or before the seeds mature on the top of the plants is the best time to, to roll crimp it. And you, you roll over it, it lays the vegetation down and the crimpers 
just kind of pinch the plant. So if it's a stem of, of wheat or, or winter rye, um, it, it just pinches the plant to the soil and uh, damages it enough to where it can't come back. And it's at a stage of life where it's trying to make seeds, and so it doesn't really have a lot of spare energy. And so you're just laying that stuff down, and it's like thatch, uh, and your seeds sprout through it, and it, it's like a natural form of herbicide or mulch. So you would seed and then crimp over it? Yep. Huh. Or yeah. you could, you know, you could crimp it, and if you've got a drill, you can drill into it. Oh, drill on top. I mean, there's yeah. folks, uh, you know, doing vegetables and corn and all, you know, all kinds of cool stuff with it. Yeah, our friends it's, at Packer Max have, that have the Cultipacker have a crimper attachment for that Cultipacker. Right. Wow, that'd be so handy. I'm just looking yeah. at that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping to evolve into using that. But there's a there's a lot of good information you can find on YouTube of folks using that equipment. Um, I've even seen some discussion about, uh, you know, we try not to bush hog during nesting season. And people are talking about, well, is there any difference in crimping? Uh, but that's a totally different subject we can get into <laughs> later. <laughs> for, for some reason, I think it may be because of the huge... Uh, huge companies that sell herbicides in the United States, but in South America, they literally do millions of acres uh, that way rather than, than using herbicides. It's so much better for the, the soil because that carbon transfer is, is, is going on. Uh, old plants are decomposing new plants. So it's, it's just, uh, it's so much healthier for the soil. And now with fertilizer costs, uh, going through the roof, uh, it it will save you a bundle not only as Toxie said in fuel, but uh, the the fertilizer costs uh, as well. Yeah, and reminding people it isn't like you have to fertilize to grow a crop. I mean, you're just getting your soil. I mean, if you do a soil test, you may find you don't even need to do anything. Mm-hmm. But likely there is something. So you really are just trying to adjust your soil health to where it needs to be for that plant. But that doesn't, you know. Everybody, it's just a, it's it's just so easy to randomly throw triple thirteen seventeen out with your food plot and get better results, but it's not necessarily needed. Yeah, you know, depending on where your soil is. Yeah, it may have everything and become healthier because of these practices. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so uh, soil tested. Let's talk about these things, the no-till drills, and and what that's about. And uh, Mr. Dave, can you speak to that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm told you're, you you take advantage of what the NRCS maybe has where guys can rent those. And... Yes. Uh, well, some of the uh, soil and water conservation districts uh, have such type drills, uh, no-till drills uh, available. Uh, the Isani County up here does have one uh, available for rent, uh, an eight-foot model. Uh, it was primarily designed for planting uh, native grasses and forbs. But we've uh, we use it a lot for uh, pasture and food plot type work. The one one advantage of the roller crimper is that when you roll a crop down, like say rye, it lays it down in a line uh, rather than mowing, which it gets scattered. So then it's much easier to uh, drill through. That's one advantage of the, using the crimper instead of a mower. Uh, certain things. Uh, aren't suitable for for crimping though. Uh, you have to have a stem, um, like Dudley mentioned, that that actually can get uh, crimped uh, along that line so that it it interferes with the moisture uh, transfer to the head of the seed and then it dies. 
the but yeah, no-till drill is an excellent uh, piece of equipment to have. Um, I do have a one plot this year that was uh, no-tilled. Actually, we no-tilled with a regular drill into standing rye. We, we put soybeans in, and that I'm watching the rye. It's almost ready to crimp, and uh, the stage for crimping is when the, the rye is like Dudley said uh, in the dough stage. Uh, it'll kill the best without re-sprouting. So I'm, I'm watching that, and, and uh, we'll be crimping that shortly, hopefully. The dough stage, D-O-E? yeah. So you know yeah. when you when you get like a, a seed head off wheat or rye, and you uh, bef- before it gets hard, and as a right, seed, right. you can squeeze it, and uh, it's like a milky substance comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the dough but, stage. Yeah, that's that's the dough stage. Yeah, not not. Lanny's thinking dough meat, yeah. like dough, and he's thinking, what's right. the buck stage? Yeah. It's actually <laughs> dough, like making biscuits dough. Right, right. So, yeah. Toxie, you use a no-till drill on some scenarios. Oh, some yeah, of your absolutely. Yeah, and, and the success, do you really, see a big advantage to it? I, you know, I honestly, I can't say that. I can say I've seen as good of results, though, and certainly, um, you know, it saves time with a lot of stuff to plant, and it saves money, too. So I can't say, I, I, would, I would just say, and I don't know enough that, you know, there's so many other variables like especially the weather i have seen it where uh in some years where we just cut and no-tilled basically we did what dudley does except then drill Drill through it Mm -hmm. uh we did have better uh health of the food plot in a drought situation for sure because you're not turning that it preserves moisture amazingly more Mm -hmm. so in that particular case yeah there's a bunch of positives if you can but I still think every soil's different. It's it's that's even harder to do with heavy clay soils, you know. Because I've learned the hard way, Ibraskas they don't do well planted deep in that kind of soil. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you you know, you just, there's a happy medium. That quarter inch is, you know, we talk about is hard to get sometimes mm-hmm. with a no-till um, drill. Where we had the most luck, honestly, we would actually uh, have a prepared soil, and I mean this started a long time. Well, actually, this was the the. What I did was the origins of Green Patch Plus, what twenty right, years ago, sure and what we had done, we we actually took the clover hoppers off the no-till drill, so that's in that little bit, and we planted uh, our clovers that we wanted and a little bit of the brassicas there. When you say you took the hoppers off, you mean you undid the I, I undid the tubes and let yeah, them just so dangle just in front of the drill, okay. and everything else was planted down the little furred rows, and so it did too. And we got a great stand uh, almost every single year, and those were just dangle out on top of the ground. Those uh, packer wheels in the back would cultipack 70% of the ground we rolled over to. Uh, and it spread it out. Instead of everything being planted that far, what I found out, we had much healthier brassicas sprinkled on top of the ground than we did, you know, drilled an inch, an inch and a half deep. Okay, let's, so let's talk about this. You had a, a grain drill, and you put the brassicas in, in a... a the well, wheat is going out in one right, the, 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 and the, in the rows. That's right. And then you took the tubes off, so the brassicas and clover are just right. So there's out. two there's two hoppers. One's for small seed, one's for big seed. And your drilled rows plant, you know, whatever's in the big hopper. Typically, a bigger seed like wheat or something, and you know, winter peas or whatever you have. And so we would always because because of the, you know it would it was too deep for clover, and I wanted clover behind everything. We just tried it one year and we took the hoses off let them dangle out in front of the whole drill as we planted so they just spread them out you know all the way across you know it's a 12 foot drill so the whole in, in 
two things happened. One, it was a better way to plant clover. And we weren't trying to jam all this seed into those furrowed rows. Yeah. And quite honestly, I've learned more and more that less is better. In a lot of cases, we were still plant, trying to plant too many, especially some of the bigger leafy stuff. But it also taught me that, you know, these brassicas, especially in some of our heavy clay, just don't do well planted in that deeper furrow. And so, anyway, it was a way to turn that drill into a combination, you know, soil planter, you know, top seed. Yeah. And it works. Yeah, it works great. Yeah, I've been yeah, doing that for 20 sense. years. With native grasses, I know folks just drop it on the surface. With, yeah, you know, and it's kind, of, it's kind of the way the Furminator works. Oh yeah, uh, a Furminator is actually great because it does both. Honestly, you know, you are disturbing the soil, but you, and you mm-hmm. and you can adjust that. But uh, as far as a one pass for all of it, that's definitely the best. No question about it. Yeah. It, Speaking of native grasses, I was uh, up at Dave's farm. This was two years ago when you did native grasses. Was that two years ago when you planted the the big? Uh, uh, four years ago, I planted four years twenty-seven oh acres my. of native grass. Time flies. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yep, it does. And I couldn't believe it. so in in the all the different hoppers, the different types of seeds. Do you remember how many different types of seed you had? <laughs> oh, thirty some. Yeah, so what then? Then because the different size and the different weights of right. all these. Right. Native warm season grass seeds and and whatnot. You you've got to put aggregate in another hopper to to you know so it gets distributed evenly and uh, it uh, it was a a pretty sophisticated process. I thought. Well, how did it work? Wonderful. Uh, this was the the fifth uh, growing season this year. I did burn it uh, this spring. I had enough thatch to carry a good fire. Uh, it's coming back just just. Beautiful uh, native grasses, M4, a lot of pollinator things in there, um, wildflowers and so forth. Uh, yep, the I, I don't like uh, buying a, a mix with different size seeds. I ordered all my seeds to come separately so I could uh, personally size them to which box in the in the drill uh, would be more appropriate. Right. And this time, I even needed some of the the native forb seeds. Almost like dust. You almost you need some kind of a buffer to mix with it right. uh, to get it uh, distributed uh, evenly. Hmm. The, the drill I used was a like a brilliant type drill with the Packer wheels. Now this is not no till situation, but uh, it had three bo- three seed boxes on this one. One like fluffy for the native uh, grasses, which are fluffy. A regular grain. Uh, size box for seeding small grains like soybeans or rye or wheat and then the small seed box like you were talking for the clovers and and smaller seed right so i divided the seed into the appropriate size box put in buffer material if i needed to 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 get it to go over i mean some of this was just ounces of seed to try and get over 27 acres Mm. oh wow so i know how to mess that up (laughs) Dave, they tell me you do something called, a, you refer to it as a fire plot. Can you explain that a little bit to us? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's it's a real no-till situation. Uh, you know, around your food plots, you're always having trees fall into the plots or uh, things to clean up, brush around the edge or extending your food plot. You're cutting some trees on the edge and I'll, I'll burn the brush in a, in a pile. And sometimes these are only 10 feet in diameter, just at the edge of the food plot. And uh, it, it prepares the soil perfectly. It burns off any vegetation that's there. 
uh, it almost sterilizes the soil, any seed bank that's there. So it's really suitable for putting in a new seed. The, the seed that was the native seeds that were there, the weeds and brush are set back. Uh, everything's burned off. Uh, small seeded things like brassicas or clovers are just ideal. Just a seed right on top, maybe lightly rake it in. And uh, I believe Richie's probably has some pictures of that when he was up here filming a uh, hunt with Todd. Yeah, he's nodding his head that he does. So, yeah, that, that, that sounds interesting. So, guys, we you know we talk about uh, we talk about the, the word no till gets bounced around a lot, and you know, and there's a lot it's, of guys. Really I'm broad, one of them though. that doesn't yeah. have a tractor. Right. That you don't have access. So sometimes some of these finding these other ways of doing things is you just you you kind of have to do that. Sure. And, and what Tox mentioned earlier, I think everybody kind of thought it was access, you know, being able to get in there and because doing it with a weed whip, we call it a we call it a weed eater down weed. here. <laughs> uh, but you can actually get in there and you know and, and do some stuff. Uh, so it it enables you to you know take you know again take action and get some stuff going. And out there. you know, some people don't have conditions for tillage. No, uh, you you get up in the Ozarks and the Appalachians and stuff, and there's rocks and or, little I stones mean, and stuff company, everywhere you know, and timber company uh, stuff you, know, you keep you, trying you to disc it. that it's just going to degrade the soil so much that and your equipment it's not going to want to grow anything <laughs> yeah, and your yeah. equipment, that's true. so does frost seeding the in the in the way especially the way they do it uh where todd and them live frost seeding is a, it's just another kind of example of no you're not turning the soil yeah i'd love for todd to explain you know the the phenomenon of frost seeding yeah todd could you please sure, absolutely so so not only frost seeding but sometimes we'll actually do snow seeding um you really have to choose your area carefully because uh it, when snow seeding because if you've got you know six eight inches of snow left which is wonderful because you can actually see where the seed is is landing and 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 gauge uh, uh distribution easily but uh if all your snow melts and you're on a hillside well all your seeds gonna eventually wind up at the you know <laughs> bottom of the hill so you have to choose your areas uh, wisely there i would say frost seeding is a much better idea and it's just basically when when the ground is heaving in the springtime when it's you know thawing during the day and then freezing back at night and thawing during the day it'll actually open up these little cracks and crevices in the soil which you know you come along and put seed in there and it's uh it works uh works well and it just that seed just sits there until it's time or temperature's right for germination yes yes absolutely absolutely yeah, we hear a lot of guys planting clover that yeah, way in the north. Absolutely. Like most, yeah. Now, Toxie, hadn't you done something like that? Oh here? yeah. Oh, and, and absolutely. Just, absolutely. So it's uh, it's yep. truly frosting yep. down down. I mean, here. not much snow. So with our clover, especially non-typical, just good seed soil contact of any type, you're typically going to get a non-typically great stand. Yeah. Excuse my words there, but it's it's That's an amazing product. It's probably the most vigorous like germinator that I think we've ever had. So a guy that had a clover field, it, it, no, no matter where he is, mm -hmm. if that winter, coming out of that winter, he noticed some bare spots here, that that or that late February-ish, he could mm -hmm. fill in those bare Absolutely. spots. Absolutely. Yeah, easily. If you, if you I, see, go through, I go through uh, at least once a year all my clover plots. you got gopher mounds. Right. You've got where maybe you mowed and oh. it was a little tall and all the dead plant foliage got put in a little swath, which is now, you know, 
buried your clover beneath it. So uh, a, a tire rut or whatever, and and just to to fill in those uh, those little spots like that. Uh, I do that once a year typically. So you, at the right time of year, you just go and kind of top seed your your bare spots and your clover spots. You typically in the spring, but yeah, yeah. Or here, I would say still winter. I oh mean, yeah. You don't get as much leeway in the south yeah, that more, you would up where he is. Yeah, more you could almost plant it year-round up there. It's crazy. Yeah. More yeah. folks Agreed. doing it in the south, for sure. Yes. Planting but I would say down here by, in the spring. Feb- by February, February, it's just that it takes that clover, you know, it's it's, it's you know it's got to get enough root, and most of that first year you don't see much because it's... Sleeps and then it leaps. Well, it's just, yes, predominantly putting a root down. So you need to give it enough time to before it dries out and gets warmer. Yeah. Um, but but clover that, I say this, the, the, the non-typical especially, all of them that we sell are great. But that one especially, if, even, if you've planted it the first year and it looks a little sparse, wait until it warms up. It's crazy how it will grow out and fill in the cracks and expand, especially that first year. And then after that, I think it's established itself. And you see bare spots, you know, you probably need to go fill them in. But if you've got, honestly, it's almost like it, the, if you have less of it in a stand, those that you have are more healthy and will fill it in. It's crazy. It just explodes. I know people say like kudzu, but it almost is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Todd, could you talk just a little bit about the timing of an annual food plot up in the in the north where you guys are in Minnesota, Wisconsin, that area? When do you, you've been doing this a long time? When do you get started trying to plant your like your maximum or your deer radishes? What what's that time frame? Well, if you start from the springtime, looking at all annuals, you would typically be planting your you know soybeans and corn in the in the springtime, those first couple weeks of May, typically and uh, I would say brassicas, if you're this far north, uh, we'll say from Iowa to the north, I would say as soon after the 4th of July as you have ample topsoil moisture wow. or are <laughs> expecting a rain, That's crazy. which I know to some people that would freak them out. But You, you just uh, did. Thank you. If, you. if you want to get the the biggest brassicas possible um now why then why wouldn't you you guys know the answer to this but then why wouldn't you plant them earlier than if you could grow bigger brassicas well obviously you don't want them to to bolt to flower and seed they just aren't as palatable to white tails if they they get past that point so um you know i would say the mid-july would be uh this far north would be for, for brassicas now cereals though i i back off that and this is one reason i know we have several blends where we we have uh cereals and brassicas together and and they're great one and get it done type plots but i prefer to plant my brassicas and cereals uh separately just because of this and uh cereals i would say towards the end of July, even maybe into the beginning of September, you can, because boy, when that, uh, you know, oats, wheat, triticale, things like that are popping out of the ground, that's like candy to whitetails right away when it shoots out of the ground. So, uh, but, but I, uh, brassicas are, are the biggest question, I guess. And even up in, uh, up into Canada, when I had my Canada property, uh, we would be, uh, you know, end of June planting brassicas. Wow. Mm. Well, I wanted people to realize that the timing difference, because where we are in Mississippi, and a lot of it is occurring in September, early Mm -hmm. September, and even late September, but where they are, they've got to get started to 
Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Time. No, it's a different – it's a completely – almost like we ought to publish a, a zone chart for the food plot seed like they do from trees and yeah. native plants and stuff too because it's there's a stark difference in what you can do. And then there's another one further south than us that's even later, right. you know. And I guess temperature and moisture changes from year to year, but the length of the days too. Um, stuff just won't make it into the fall if we plant too early, mm-hmm. you know. I actually – I hate – that we use <laughs> y'all down there always use the term fall planting yeah but if that's we, right we're trying to change we, tough. right right but if if we literally wait until fall to plant anything here in minnesota we're we've already experienced our first killing frost usually right, by that right so it's for sure going to be a failure but uh so for yeah that's why i always used to, in our literature that we'd send out to the public i'd put late summer slash Fall plant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we do a lot of planting before it's actually fall down here. Is that the 20th of September or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think it's just in our mind, it's like for hunting over in the fall. You know, fall, everything's so. geared around quote unquote fall sure. hunting seasons, probably. Bronson's so, been pushing us to use cool season and warm season. Yeah. There you go. So, one of the things that I noticed the most when people call in or we go to shows or stuff that people that hadn't done food plots before are amazed that they could take something like a deer radish or a green patch plush mm-hmm. and they could plant it and in two weeks it's up and growing and deer are browsing on it. They they see they think seem to think it takes longer than that. Depends on the again, the, but you know, they're yeah, up there and their their warm soil is at a premium and goes away so much quicker than our so, you know, if he plants the seed and we plant a seed, it's the same seed and it has certain soil temperatures. The brassicas here just don't grow as rapidly once that soil gets cold. So you really do, as he alluded to, you want a big jump in them when you got some warm soil. But you don't want too long of that or they will bolt or they yeah. will, you know, not make it into the – once they bolt, they're pretty much gone downhill, don't they, Dudley, yeah. for the rest and of the they, year. Uh, so it's a fine line depending on – you know, your soil temperature, honestly. Right. They've got those really long day lengths in the yes, summer that, yes. that we don't have and, and slightly cooler soils. And but we have a lot really... of warm spells going on into even November oh, yeah. that sure. will bail us out of a late planting. And Todd's not, he don't have that luxury in many years. Sure, sure. So, Todd, uh, Dave, do y'all pay attention? Do y'all do the soil test uh, every year? You got that one? I, I do not soil test every year personally, but I've tested very uh, annually in the past. I know my soil is good. I'm not taking a lot off the soil, just what the deer are eating. Uh, a lot of it's getting put back. So I, I can get by without soil testing once you get your soil up to snuff. So I would I would agree with that. I would say, you know, when you when you take over a, a new area, you yeah. definitely you need to soil test it and possibly for the next several years even once twice maybe even three times a season depending upon what you're doing to the soil but once you know okay this is you get consistent readings year after year and uh uh, i haven't used any speaking of fertilizer costs and soil health dave kind of got me on the the kick uh, uh you know using companion crops better crop rotation uh i have not spent one penny on granulators granulized fertilizer over the last four years just because of you know planting the right companion crop or following it with the the right crop so you're adding back what that last 
crop took out, you're adding it back. Or what one crop likes, the other one produces. So, uh, Can you speak to that and give us an example of what you've done that's worked? I would let uh, I would let Dave uh, answer that because he's the one who kind of taught me this. But it's just, for instance, uh, when planting our deer radish, uh, I, he's uh, I was just to give him a hard time because my plots would always, in fact, be on television and magazine covers because they looked so beautiful. And what Dudley alluded to before, it really doesn't matter that much. And in fact, some new research actually shows that a dirty plot might attract whitetails better. But Dave would always plant buckwheat in everything. And buckwheat's one of the best scavengers of, uh, of phosphorus that, that there is. And he would also have uh, uh, some type of a legume, a bean or a pea in there and a cereal in there. And I always give him a hard time because his, his, his plots looked so much rougher than mine did, but they outperformed my plots significantly. But I would let Dave maybe answer, build on that answer. Well, I try and use a lot of the soil health principles in the food plots. That's we got to really uh, look at what the farmers are doing in soil health and, and adapt that to food plots. It, it really works. Uh, but like Todd mentioned, you know, the buckwheat is, is one of the plants that's very good at taking phosphorus out of the mineral soil and mobilizing it uh, in a form that's use, usable for the, the other uh, food plot uh, crops. Uh, but just the, you would need a variety of different plant families in the soil. You want living roots in the soil as many days of the year as you can. Uh, yeah, a lot our of radishes, our radishes are wonderful. Deer radishes, another great crop from from bio drilling and and bringing up the nutrients that have already leached through that topsoil. You got that four to six foot tap root in the in the the radish that pulls up a lot of those nutrients from very very deep in the soil, and then when that radish, if, if the deer doesn't eat it, when that radish is decomposing in the soil, then all those nutrients are now uh, available for the subsequent crop. So uh, there's a, there's a lot people can do uh, to to save on that fertilizer bill for sure and. Uh, that it's being called regenerative agriculture these days Uh, and folks have been doing it forever it's suddenly gotten a new word Uh, i think that's the only way you could do it back in the day right um and then we got addicted to these uh granular fertilizers uh that you have to mine out of the ground or use some type of chemical process to produce them um and now that the price of them has gone through the roof uh I think the folks that have been doing a lot of these no tillage type practices are are are, are, are winning the race, um, and everybody else is scurrying to to learn all this new regenerative information. Uh, sounds like you guys are. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. No fertilizer in four years. Yeah, in, in four years now. Now I just sent in some tests uh, uh, a few days ago, so I'll see. I may need I may need some this year, but but thus far and things have looked have looked wonderful. So uh, knock on wood. So help me understand too uh, when you're rotating these crops because uh, it sounds like you're, you're inputting a crop and then coming back over and and seeding on top of that. Is that correct? 
yeah, I'll uh, take that one. Uh, like with the, our big, my biggest crop for uh, hunting is the brassicas. Uh, they do well here. They produce a lot of biomass. They're very attractive. Uh, a good, healthy brassica crop here uh, is great for the deer. And then when that we get our frosts and freezes, it kills down quickly. And there you get almost like, then you'll see bare soil again. And that's the perfect time to do your uh, no-till seeding, like adding, uh, uh, like after a brassica crop, I'll plant a small grain, uh, like rye in the wintertime. We'll get a little bit of growth in the fall for the the deer will eat until snow covers it. And then you have the rye come up next spring. You have a lot of options there. You can no-till soybeans into the rye, or you can uh, just roll the rye down, uh, plant something like buckwheat just to build soil. The deer will eat buckwheat in the summer. It's not like a, a great food plot, but we have a lot of ag fields around us. The deer can go eat there. We're just building our soil getting it ready for that brassica crop again. I never plant brassicas in the spring. Uh, you want some kind of a break between your brassicas. Um, I do want them every fall. So that's why I plant something else in the spring to uh, eliminate like diseases or problems with planting the same thing on the same ground. I know we always talk about uh, double cropping, getting two crops out of the same piece of ground in the same growing season. Well, I know that uh, I don't know that I've ever been to Dave's farm where there's not been something uh, coming out of the soil. And I know he's planted as many as four, maybe even five uh, different crops during the same growing season in the same in the same plot plants are adding back something that's that's necessary mm -hmm. exactly yes yeah that's that's really interesting and these radishes that everybody's so excited about i mean they the deer absolutely love them but yeah. they 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 also bust up the hard pan oh fun. yeah do, do, do yeah. dave do you turn the soil over just once a year or is it do you ever bring a plow through all that stuff and kind of reset the clock is that right before you probably the brassicas again yes i i can't get away from some tillage and i, I mean when you can no-till, it's great, but definitely we, we all, uh, we're going to need some kind of tillage at some time. Mm -hmm. uh, is so that once I, a year I, for you? Yeah. I, everything I do is almost like uh, week to week. I just watch <laughs> the conditions and do what's necessary. Uh, there's no set recipe. Uh, like say, watching your crops, you can, you can tell when you need fertilizer just by how your, your, your crops are growing, mm. you know, without the soil test. But so, so yes, in the spring is when I'll do tillage. And some of the reasons for the four crops in a year was that I, I definitely had some weed issues. You know, when you're first starting out with your food plots, you got lots of weeds. So I would plant the, in, in the spring, uh, cool season crops here, like uh, oats or wheat, barley, uh, the deer like it when it's young, and then it starts to lose its palatability. Plow it down, uh, then plant buckwheat. Uh, let the buckwheat come up, and weeds will start coming up. Disc it down. That helps control your weeds. Plant another crop of buckwheat. Uh, that comes up. Deer eat it when it's young. Uh, disc it down again for the middle of July, and go to your uh, fall brassica crop. This man's farming. So when, you're, when, you're say, when you say disking in that scenario, I assume you're referring to like you're disking fairly shallow, mm. like minimum tillage to 
just put that put that stuff right back on the surface yeah. or are you are you disking it deep when you're trying to get rid of your weeds you, you need the disc pretty much full depth gotcha so for a couple of years yeah. once you get your weeds bank depleted uh which takes many years you, then you can start getting away with less tillage uh and then more uh relying on your uh biomass and the the rice straw to uh keep suppressing weeds gotcha but it's a process it's a process you can't do this in a, yeah. a year and he, he's disking when it's cool still right not like we do well, in the spring, south in he's September, so spring. it's early. But he's also talking about depleting that weed bank, and I'm looking at Toxie with no. all the ground that floods. That that's right. Have. That's right. exactly right. That, that, yep. That's, that's what I was shaking my head about. It's so frustrating, <laughs> but you can eliminate every weed from the soil. You know, it probably take 10 years to do it, and there's a fresh, fresh influx back. every right. year, and the drainage is, you know. Well, that just goes <laughs> to show that, you know, in different regions, that's uh, right. folks have evolved yeah. to do things differently. and Yep. Uh, and it works we have, well. But it seems like it'd be better for us to plow when it's cooler than when it's hotter, even in the south. Well, oftentimes when it's cool, the ground is also wet. And, yeah, and you can't And And getting back to the no-tillage, uh, that's where I really won last fall is nobody, everybody that was, that was tilling and disking, uh, it was too wet to get their fall – Plots yeah, in. Plots, yeah. yeah, when it's so, too wet, it really, really shines because and, uh, you're so guaranteed, was, you know. Yeah, I was able to go out there a day after a rain and right. and spray to burn to burn everything down. And then a couple weeks later, when I was supposed to be disking, uh, I was throwing fertilizer and seed out, you know, and, and just using the weight of a four-wheeler. Um, and I had no trouble. And there was plenty of moisture for my brassicas to come up and – uh, kind of bragging, but I was around the office. People are like, man, I, somebody got stuck trying to plant, you know, and mm-hmm. we were disking and too wet. And I'm like, I got stuff coming up. I don't know about y'all. Oh, gamekeeper over <laughs> so, here. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Know-it-all, where's your little thing? <laughs> yeah. But it may fail <laughs> next year. So. That's him. That's yeah. a, he's our Mr. Know-it-all, though. That's him. So one last thing to talk about. Uh, we, we always mention seed-to-soil contact mm-hmm. and how important Hugely that is. Important. And Todd, can you speak to your uh, what, what a good, in your mind, a good seed bed looks like? That's... A question I don't know that has a specific answer to it, because where I used to think, boy, you just want, uh, you know, a, a piece of ground that's nothing but soil, no uh, plant debris in it and everything. But that's not necessarily the case. Uh, some of the best plots I've I've grown, as Dudley was talking about earlier, about his throw and mow thing. That that dead plant material on the surface of the of the soil helps so much with uh, soil moisture and that temperature. and temperature exactly. Um, so I wouldn't, uh, you know, obviously yes, the seeds need to make it through and and hit that soil. Uh, but uh, boy, and this is brassicas. We keep mentioning all the different types of brassicas, but they are just an unbelievable. Not only are they a hardy plant, but they're hardy seeds. Um, you know, I, I plant I plant test flats to bring to 
to deer shows and whatnot, and I'll sit on my front porch and I'll spill some seeds. And I got brassicas growing knee high out of the cracks of my driveway and and through the boards on my deck. It's just it's amazing how how hardy these plants are. And uh, you know, I would just say if you can eliminate the competition that's there, that's possibly even more important uh, than having a completely free, you know, seedbed free of all debris and, and dying plants. Those dying plants are beneficial to the soil too. Well, that's another brilliance of what Dudley does or that technique is that I've, by my own experience, anytime you uh, disturb the soil, you just wake up all kind of noxious weeds, at least in my part of the world. So you think about that, if there's a minimal amount of disturbance to the soil like and get something germinate, not only that, <clears throat> those are those seeds, or if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Dudley, but those seeds are drawing most of their energy from the seed itself and not having to get it from the soil. So at first, they can power their way through a little crack in the thatch that you have. And then once they And then when they're that- above that, then the, uh, the stuff that's down in the soil may not make it through. So it's almost like when you put a bed of mulch over your garden after you've germinated it. And mm-hmm. so you hadn't, you hadn't uh, I guess, you hadn't awakened as many seeds or, or weeds. And then the few that do, you're eliminating them by, you know, shading them out with a the thatch. It's just a much better way if you can get away with it. Really is. Yeah. Yeah, sure. This has been fascinating, guys. Uh, no doubt about uh, it. Yeah, Lanny, well, we, we always talk about uh, – excuse me, Dad. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was going to add uh, that uh, we've done wildflowers the same way. Yeah. Uh, we did it around town a few years ago, uh, just overseeded a bunch of oats. We did it in your backyard, mm-hmm. overseeded a bunch of oats in the fall, um, and let them grow, let them do their thing, and that spring uh, – Late winter, early spring, we just overseeded a, a bunch of wildflower seed. Um, one of them we mowed. Another one I came back and sprayed it with clethodim to kill mm-hmm. the grasses, and they both came up equally well. Um, they did. And uh, so it, it just it goes to show that that method yeah. uh, works along a wide range. So, Lanny, what have we learned? I mean, where there's a will, there's a way, you know what I mean? There's a lot of places we uh, we get access to that we think about putting poop pots in, but just because we can't get a tractor there or other things, you know, we kind of turn our nose and turn turn away from it. I just, you know, there's a way to get it done, you know, yes. to li- being able to listen to everybody around here. I'm already, like, the whole time everybody's talking, I'm like, you know what, I can do that right there. If I get over there, I can do that. I can get my weed whip all kind of places, you know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> Just getting out there and, you know, getting after it. I mean, that's the joy of it anyways. Yeah. Ten years ago, folks would have said we were crazy for – or 20 years ago, trying some of these practices, um, you know. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is the facts change. Facts can change. Absolutely. And uh, we're just learning more and more. Well, and you got people like Mississippi State, Bronson, Strickland. They, they they kind of been very – they've been advocates for this for yes. a few years. And Bronson's kind of trying to – teach so i think it all at the end of the day it all the agricultural industry how these farmers are learning to do things kind of finds it has found its way back over here we're learning from them what they're doing yeah and i'm gonna tell you what the rising cost of fuel and fertilizer is really helping it too yes. so yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Say, economics you know four years no fertilizer time. yeah so i, I was yeah. thinking like dudley's way or my way. My way is burn 50 gallons of, you know, high-priced <laughs> yeah. off-road diesel, and Dudley's burning two gallons of gas out of a four-wheeler and a weed eater. Yeah. You know? i got to figure or, out how to get the uh, 
glyphosate out of the picture next <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and cut even more costs. So, Dave, we appreciate you being on. We really appreciate you helping Todd. It sounds like you are the, the guy that really helps Todd have his food plots. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't help but take a dig. I've learned, I've learned much from Dave. <laughs> Well, look, you guys, uh, y'all have a really special relationship. Todd, is Dave your uncle? Is that right? Yes. Married to my mom's sister. All right. All right. Well, Dave, we sure appreciate you helping, Todd. Is there anything that you guys that we hadn't covered that you guys feel like is important we need to make sure we talk about? How much time you got? Yeah, well. (laughs) Careful. It's lunchtime. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, look, this this has been good. Uh, guys, uh, this is our 98th episode. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we're doing this giveaway. We started with uh, a $250 gift card to Gamekeepers Fieldwear mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Last week, we were that was a pair of Leopold sunglasses. Yes. And this week, it's a pair of Russell boots. Man. So, yeah, of the, the Gamekeeper edition. Russell Moxon. Yeah, yeah, that's Russell right. Russell boots. So, yeah, the Russell Moxon. Yeah, that's and right. And Bottomland, I'm sure. So, yeah. Oof. So, you get to wow. pick. Yeah, so you'll measure your foot and send it to Joe, and they'll send you back a pair of boots. Our buddy so, Joe been a friend for a long time. He so, sure we've got to come up with uh, the code for people to use this week. So, I think Richie is somewhere. we got a trivia question for number nine. Is it number 98? It's number 98. 98. Yep, it sure is. So none of us at the table know this question. Well, I've so. gotten all of them wrong up to this point, so there's no way to go but up. <laughs> all right, Richie. What, here tell comes us. the question. Maybe all right, here right. comes the question here. So according to a study conducted by the University of Georgia, what is the average fall home range of a mature buck in acres? All right. Mm. So, Georgia. In Georgia. Georgia. In Georgia. Georgia. So the home range, boy, you're gonna give us, you're gonna give us some, obviously, to pick from. Well, to be honest, uh, Mac uh, McKellar here just gave me the question, did not give me anything else. No answer. So no, I gave me the answer, but no, no, no. So So we have to get the number of acres. Can we phone a friend? (laughs) No. Let's call Bronson. You can. You can estimate. How about that? You know. Uh, All right. All right. It is in the south or in the. He said Buckerdale. It, uh, it so it's a it's a it's a buck a mature buck in a fall home range. All right, how many uh, acres? Um, how many acres? According to a study conducted by the University of Georgia, what is the average fall home range of a mature buck in acres? I'm gonna say one square mile. Six forty. So six forty. So yeah, acres here. Six hundred. So, what is that? Six hundred forty acres. Yeah. Six hundred fifty. Dudley, you got a guess? I, I think it's right there around one thousand. Ooh, thousand. He acres. just took my number. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> thousand acres. I'm gonna say a thousand and one. Thousand Bryce is right. So, but I would guess higher than that. I would uh, guess. I would guess uh, for a buck in the fall. I, my guess would be uh, more like uh, twenty five hundred, maybe three thousand. Wow, yeah, no, high roller. That's not no. running, boy. Uh, I'm gonna go in there at eight eight hundred. Eight hundred. Yeah. All right. All right. So all our answers here. All right. Twelve hundred. What's 1200? your answer? Dave? I mean, just just not to be redundant. <laughs> it was at fifteen, I think, weren't you? Yeah. I said twelve. 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 Okay. Well, that's taken. All right. Well, you were a thousand. Right. I said yeah, and, uh, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'm with Dudley. I'm gonna sink or swim with Dudley. That wouldn't be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, y'all are really close. So uh, the answer is 900 acres. Oh, I'm wow. a little short, mm-hmm. as always. Well, so that, that <laughs> means- had some thousands, had some 800s in there. So, yeah. I mean, y'all are, y'all, yeah, so, so the answer to this week's trivia question is 
907 acres to be exact. 907. So, that's so what they that got rounds up the- closer to 1,000 than to 800. Wow. Yeah, it does. Congratulations, Doug. I think I was closer, wasn't I? What'd well, you say? 650? I no. went over. What'd you though, say? You know, I said eight hundred. Oh, if we were on the, you, you are right in the question. I will Here say you get them right every time. I will say we were all very close, other than Todd's hail mary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are those goofy charges <laughs> here. Yeah, you know, that's you right. Can't go way down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well. Wow. So wait, wait. Again, so go to the website, click on enter the podcast contest. I think, and the answer is what is it, Richie? 907 acres. 907 is what you got to put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you got a chance to rent, win some Russell boots Yeah, from our friends at Russell Moxon. That is a big deal. Yep, it is. 907 is pretty precise. Is That's the most precise, so. well-wearing, comfortable, durable. They are the bomb. How long have you been wearing Russell boots? Long Gosh, time. 30 years yeah. off and on, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well made. Oh, they're, I wear them almost every day. And you probably have some of the original pairs that you I do. That, I sure do. They, they last a long time. Yeah, I mean, they probably cost twice as much as a pair of nice church shoes, but you're going to have them for 20 Forever. years or more. Yeah. And yeah. they can resole them. Yep. Uh, they're comfortable. Yep. I yep. love mine. It's good stuff. Joe Gagno is a great guy. So next week, we're going to give away a, a gunner. Kennel. Kennel, GameKeeper. Another great, nice. another great guy. Yep. Nice. And, yep. it, and then uh, the grand prize is that Browning A5 in Mossy Oak Bottomland. And land. Bottomland. Better yep. than Bottomland. That's right. And Tox is here, so we can't talk about that with yes, too much. But right. we've got the uh, we've got that lined out. It's a beautiful A5 from our friends at Browning. On the so, way to 100. All right. So, Dudley, do you have an ask, Dudley? All right. Mac's not here to read it right now. So Give me I'll read it. it. Um, Oh, you can do well, it. Well, Mac was struggling reading last week. He was. We yeah. are thinking about seeing if his uh, family he can called get it a some, Google line. Some money yeah, back from Heritage Academy. <laughs> you know, some people write like they talk, and it's, it's hard to read, you know. Okay. Um, so, hey, Dudley, I planted a row of 20 catalpa trees from you guys about four years ago at my farm in Pike County, Missouri. Mm. Uh, I was interested to learn that there is a Pike County, Missouri, not just right, not Illinois. Yeah. Mississippi, um, too. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama. Yep, that's Golly, right. Golly, it's everywhere. <laughs> hey, well, I think there was a guy named Pike that did a bunch of uh, cool Deer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, Coming down the pike. 18 of the 20 Catalpas made it and are doing awesome. I've got a few worms on them this year mm-hmm. and wanted to know if you have any tricks for preserving them. Um, he said freezing them. So, yeah, freezing them. I've read and heard too many methods, and I'm confused as to what the best method is. Any ideas? Thanks in advance. C. Molten. C. Molten. Um, well. This is kind of a fishing question. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's a tree so fishing question, though. Fishing what, question. When we first started growing Catalpa, I was really interested to know and find out that the larvae or the the moths find the seedlings at the nursery, and we have to pick them off ourselves. What? Like, so they have a, an innate sense to, to be able to hone tree. in on that type of foliage. That's crazy. Uh, that is, yeah. Nature's amazing. That's a, um, unbelievable. God's good work. And, oh, my uh, gosh. Anyway, uh, they are an amazing bait. Um, they don't come off the hook very easily, no. so you can catch multiple fish. Um I don't know. It's almost like shrimp or krill, you know, just fish lose their minds over it. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, um, you can, it's almost like uh, preparing corn to put up for the winter. 
Right. Um, you know, a lot of old timers used to put them in cornmeal and put them in like a, a coffee can and freeze them. Uh, usually within a few months, they start kind of getting goopy and changing colors and the, the skin kind of deteriorates. And so the best method I found, and yeah, I read up on this and, and figured it out. Uh, but uh, somebody actually applied for a patent a few years ago. Wow. And uh, on how <laughs> to do crazy. this. And, uh, obviously, it's pretty easy to copy the, the method. And so uh, what you do is you blanch them. Ah, just like corn or something. So uh, you put them in the fridge, get them get them cool. Uh, they're always pooping stuff out and, and that kind of thing. So so maybe uh, want to put it in your fridge. Now yeah, put them fridge. in like a big put them in like a big <laughs> the bowl they can't fridge. escape from. Put them in the fridge. Uh, let them cool down. It'll slow down their movement. Um, and uh, then rinse all of that off and drop them in boiling water. For no more than 20 seconds. Right. Any more than 20 seconds, the skin starts to deteriorate. Um, from there, you put them in an ice bath and cool quickly them cool them off. Um, some more dirty stuff may get in the water from them pooping more. Uh, rinse them off and vacuum seal them. Ah, that's crazy. Huh. Um, Have you tasted one? And then you can vacuum seal. No, I've not. That's one thing I won't. I won't taste. Um, and you can vacuum seal them in the amount that you think you're going to use fishing in a day. So if you want to catch ten fish, put your yeah, and then the you can put all there. of those little packages in its own like gallon Ziploc freezer bag. Throw them in the freezer. When you're ready to go fishing, grab a pack. Um, That's and, a great you know, analogy about blanching corn because also you could just get your Set for the whole entire next year if you have enough of them. Sure. That's pretty amazing. Um, some old, not old timers, but some folks actually will put a little bit of, of corn syrup in the water. You know how sugar's like a preservative when you're used, uh, That's amazing. making jellies and things. But uh, uh, the water method seems to work just fine. How many years after a, a catawba tree is planted do you start seeing these moths? Well, I was just saying earlier, they find the seedlings at the nursery. Well, he this guy said four, I think. You should just talk yeah. to him. Yeah. So. Pretty um, quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, very quick. And they those worms end up eating most all the leaves off that tree. Don't right. Um, one little tidbit about catawba. Um, you know, they say pawpaws transplant better in the spring. I've had much better luck transplanting pawpaws in the in the mid to late fall. Catapas or pawpaws? Yeah, catapas. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, pawpaw. They like the spring for some reason. And catapa <laughs> late fall. Yep. I I don't have right, the greatest success transplanting catapa in the spring. How far north do these catapa trees go? Do these just they they're well, shaking their heads like they don't even a, know what a catapa is? There's a catapa. Speciosa, which is northern Catalpa, and we have in the south Catalpa bignonioides. Um, bignonioides? Yeah. <laughs> I like um, that. Dave was, Dave was just telling me that he has a couple on his property, but he's not seen any kind of worms on them. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny. It's kind of like deer and acorn trees. You know, they'll there's certain individuals that they like more. Mm -hmm. um, some of the ones planted in the landscape were probably selected from trees that the worms don't go to as much. So the trick is to collect seed from or propagate from trees that the that the sure. you know the moths like. Yeah, you need um, some native nurseries ones. 
get you some up there. Well, the yeah. catfish sure do like the. Oh my goodness, worm. everything does. Uh, bluegill, red ear, uh, bass, bass, love them. Uh, I've even heard of folks catching saltwater fish on them. I've baited trot lines with them and caught fish. Oh, like crazy! Sure. Oh yeah, I'm in. I can't believe I don't have any already. Yeah, I can't believe you don't either. I don't either. Now that I think about now, it, I will have now, some in the ground. You could fall. get your trot lining buddies, Lanny, and y'all could put up a bunch just like, like you a, know, freezers full of corn, and then you. Just think about how easy that would be to pull one out and just go set lines with them. Yeah. Not have to sane for shad and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Come in. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Have to call Big Dave. So <laughs> like. All right, guys. Well, look, uh, is there anything else we need to discuss here? I think we, we this has been, a good been one. pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very. Todd, Dave, we certainly appreciate you being a part here. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Thanks for what y'all do. I, w- I would like to say encourage everybody who's listening, if you've experimented – Send us a note. Send us yeah. an email. Email you know. with photos. Yeah, right. love send something. I'd love to know because we're going to keep learning more from everybody out there. This actually is kind of like a, a test plot thing. Yeah, having some and yeah, what have you experienced? We'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's hundred percent. Yeah, because and, and there's there's so much, so many different ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, and timing is everything. If there's timing one thing that I everything. think came out of this is that. Uh, Yep, timing is important. Yeah, and to add to Toxies, I think we mentioned it earlier. Don't try something once and fail and give up. Never I'm, give up. I have folks call <laughs> and they're like, "Man, I planted brassicas once and the deer didn't eat them, and, and the deer ate all of them. I'm not going to plant them again." Well, we all know if you keep trying for yes. three years, they yeah. start nibbling on it. I so. wish mine wouldn't eat them. <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah, yeah it is. We're over yeah. Well, this has been good. Toxie, have you got anything you want to no. – Is there, Lanny, is there anything going on at Moss yet? We need to make – the ICAST show's coming yeah, up Yeah, ICAST is soon. coming up this week, so they'll be down there. At the There's lots show. of stuff. Lots yeah. of stuff going on. Yeah. Too There's much to mention. still some turkey stamps, guys. Yeah. You, Check the turkey stamps. I got a lot of new fishing gear out, you know, because the summer's coming around. So uh, check it out. Yep, that's it. All right. Well, Richie, have you got anything? You think we covered everything? That sounds good. So – Richie's nodding his head, so uh, why don't good. you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac. Mac, where is Mac? <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast, and be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine, and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.